When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, joined as usually by my able-bodied co-pilot, uh, a guy who steers the plane often. You just don't know it, but he's steering it uh, while I'm uh, going to the restroom, otherwise enjoying the coffee and the delicacies that come along with being the pilot. Uh, uh, awesome Ward, welcome back again to the Tim May Podcast. It is truly my pleasure to be back. And I did that again in monotone. I don't know why I get to the monotone, but it did. But, hey, we're going to skip all the fall to roll and get right into it. We're going to have any Jerry Birmingham, uh, you know, uh, sort of like floating along. We're going to get right to the point. Is that good? Yeah, let's do it. You know, I'm just kidding. And Jeremy Birmingham knows I'm kidding. But he does He does float sometimes. But I digress. <laughs> Bottom line is uh, this is a football team, an hostile football team that's in flux in all kinds of ways, coming out of its uh, win over Akron the other night, 59-7. to headed toward it's not the Big Ten opener. They've already played the Big Ten opener. And really, when you think about it, that is a feather in their cap, man, that uh, a team that seemed to be in that much disarray or in one of another term trying to find itself defensively was able to uh, uh, beat Minnesota in that opening game of the season. You know, they tucked that one away. I mean, that's kind of like money in the bank or, uh, or uh, house money headed into this opener against Rutgers, right? Absolutely. I mean uh... – and any road win in the Big Ten you take, and no matter when it falls in the schedule, it's meaningful and significant. Now, Ohio State, of course, you know, wants to win the last one in the Big Ten. It's in December. Um, and you can sometimes do that by dropping one game. But um, big, big deal to have that filed away, and uh, especially now because Ohio State, you know, just because of the quirks of the schedule, will have gone with back-to-back Big Ten road games to start it. And, you know, Whatever. It just tilts slightly more to your favor if you can knock those out of the way and know that you've got a bunch of home games coming uh, as you get really into the, the heart of that conference schedule. Yeah, you know, uh, I want to get get right to this point for I make another couple of things with you. Uh, my guest this week is Matt Wilhelm, former linebacker for the Ohio State, former linebacker in the NFL. And uh, I have him breaking down what he what he's seen the defense go through so far this year, where he thinks it is right now, where he thinks it's headed. And it's a very interesting conversation in all kinds of ways because Matt Wilhelm, much the way he played ball, uh, does not shy away from the big hit. <laughs> Just ask Ken Dorsey. Right. But, but I digress. Uh, bottom line is, you know, as we sit here right now, and, and Matt Wilhelm and I talk about this a little bit on the uh, near the end of our conversation, this Big Ten East is not the Big Ten East a lot of people saw about five weeks ago, man, including Rutgers, this upcoming opponent. This is a credible opponent that went into Michigan the other day and uh, basically was in the game all the way to the end, you know, till they couldn't get something done there at the very end. But uh, uh, in the second year under Greg Schiano, uh, they've regained respectability. I think you got to agree with that, right? Yeah, but I, I also – what I saw on Saturday was weird to me where Rutgers didn't – the Rutgers we saw last year against Ohio State that pulled out every trick imaginable that pushed the envelope to try and spring the upset – yeah, didn't do that at all against Michigan in a game that 
Michigan was asking them to try and steal from them when when the offense disappears in the second half. And I think at one point, you know, you you pointed out and Angelique was tweeting about it up there in, in the big house that four, four, three and outs in a row could have been five. I don't know. Uh, didn't watch every single snap of that game, but it was one that was begging to be taken. And, and Rutgers didn't seem to want to do any of the stuff that they did to try and surprise Ohio State. So last week I took more out of that as concern that maybe Michigan is in a little bit of their September overrated phase and that Rutgers still isn't fully ready to take advantage of that, at least to go head-to-head, straight, normal, traditional football for 60 minutes against the best teams in the Big Ten or the more talented rosters. I don't know if Michigan counts as one of the best teams in the Big Ten, but you know, it would be pretty surprising if Rutgers did not do a bunch of the stuff that they did last year against Ohio State um, in at home, you know, probably going to be a much bigger crowd than what we've seen there the last few visits to Piscataway. Yeah. Uh, so Ohio State has to be prepared for that because Greg Schiano has done a nice job in, in uh, certainly this regard, elevating the recruiting, you know, trying to find you know, some graduate or uh, instantly eligible transfer players who can help them uh, and upgraded that roster, I think, pretty, pretty noticeably. Now, there's still a wide gap between what Ohio State is bringing into that stadium on Saturday, but um, this will be a nice uh, barometer and, and check of that progress that Ohio State, I think, as, as you and Spencer had started talking about against Tulsa, I saw a little bit more against Akron, um, the, the signs that they are getting this stuff figured out as they get into the games that really count. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, when, you, when you're trying to get a program back to just, like, being respectable, which I think uh, Greg Schiano did a year ago, you do take chances. You do roll the roll the dice because what have you got to lose? But then once you feel like you've got a program that's sort of like on the rise, doing what you want to do, you, you know it's it's human nature to take fewer chances because you think you can maybe compete straight up. And I think we saw last week in that Michigan Rutgers game, they're not quite there yet. Yeah. And I agree with you. But you know, Ohio State's coming to town. Why would you hold anything back in a game like this where you could really? More than anything else, impress the home folks because they're go. You got to expect there's going to be more home folks in the in the stands, which is sort of the lifeblood still of a lot of uh, programs. Just getting that home base going again. Uh, why wouldn't you just let it all hang out? I I agree. Uh, I don't think we're going to see the same Rutgers that we saw this past week at Michigan. Then again, you never know. You know, with Greg Schiano, just when you think that, for example, the high state defense is fixed, it wasn't. You know, <laughs> but. That's another. That's a story for another day because we're kind of like experiencing the same kind of situation here as 2018, where you know we, we're seeing a defense, but but a defense is in, that is in major correction mode now for two straight weeks after uh, shuffling of the coaching staff and shuffling of some personnel and stuff. And uh, before we get into it deep, I, I do have this interview. Interview I ran uh, with uh, Matt Wilhelm. I want to run it. An interview I had with Matt Wilhelm on a run in. Too bad I can't correct myself as I'm actually talking. Uh, awesome, but that's the way it goes sometimes. But you know, you do agree we've seen some progress, right? Despite the competition, uh, Ohio State won that game Saturday night like it was supposed to win that game, even with a first year freshman starting quarterback, which, by the way, uh, Kyle McCord keeps alive that streak now of four games of Ohio State winning freshman of the week in the big in the Big Ten. And as I as I opined last week, they could sweep this damn thing, you know, because Denzel Burke still hasn't won it. Some other guys 
or still have, you know, still have Talik Williams, you know, blah, 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 right on down the line. Guys keep stepping up, but they did win that game the way they were supposed to, didn't they? Yeah, it felt, felt a little bit more normal, like uh, what an Ohio State team is supposed to do when it's a massive favorite. Uh, and I, I don't think that you have to discount that part that, oh, it's only Akron. Well, I mean, they were favored by 49 and they won by 52. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's still that still counts. Uh, not only in the pocketbook for some people who took that, who took the game that way, but also for Ohio State to they, a bunch of players got experience. Um, you know, there was one drive that Ohio State defensively would really like to take back, but you know, I've talked you know to several uh, other people already about that. It's like, well, you're not going to play a perfect game, even if you have nothing but seniors on the field. And Ohio State knew that uh, the last few weeks it was willing to take lumps to get the those reps that. Uh, experience that uh, atmosphere, the tweaks, whatever, all of that done with younger players. And they played a, a pretty good game uh, to win 59-7 to against anybody, whoever it is. Uh, they handled it slightly better than they were projected to, uh, or at least close to what many thought would happen. And it's hard to blow out somebody for a lot a lot more than the 49-point spread. Uh, so they they deserve credit for that. And I think that as you said, we've seen a bunch of young guys that are getting better in a hurry and a team that, you know, I don't know that they will be a top 15 defense anytime soon, but they also don't have to be for this team to be good enough to win the Big Ten again and make a lot of noise with an offense that is also coming along and can be pretty scary. Yeah, well, we're going to get into that a little bit more after my conversation here with Matt Wilhelm, a major domo on that 2002 national championship team you know, a major part of that transformation, that renaissance from the late 90s into the early 2000s, which is now carried on at Ohio State uh, in a, a rare blip, a rare blip scenario. It's been amazing what this program has done uh, from 2001 on. And I think you agree with me on that. But, uh, you know, he had some great insight into what's going on with that defense just from observation. But also, you know, he has ears to the ground, you know, with some guys, et cetera. And uh, we pretty much focused on the defense here. Uh, and Matt, you know, coaches his son, has done some football coaching along with uh, the, the, the uh, independent entrepreneurial work he's into himself right now. He has great insight. So let's get to my conversation with Matt Wilhelm, former great linebacker and NFL linebacker. Uh, uh, this, these are his insights into what's up with Ohio State defense. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, I'm joined by a blast from the past, one of my favorite guys. Hey, Matt Wilhelm, I say that about every guest I have on here because I liked a lot of you guys, man. I've covered I've covered a lot of players uh, through my career covering Ohio State football starting in 1984. And, boy, your group is as interesting, you know, that little era in there is as interesting a group as there's ever been at Ohio State from what you guys experienced, you know. But, uh, hey, welcome to the Tim May Podcast, my man. It's great to be here, Tim. Uh, as always, uh, I remember our time together uh, with you covering the dispatch and, and, and writing about those teams that you just mentioned. And it's, uh, again, very grateful to be on. Hey, man, I always appreciate any, any interaction with you, except for that one time when you accused me of picking Miami to win the national championship game. And you were, you, you, were, you, were uh, you were guilty you, of having the wrong last name. You had me mixed up with Mark May, of all people. Yeah. And somebody told you that May guy had picked, uh, had picked Miami, you know, but. Uh, uh, yeah. That's still one of my favorite times because I'm just looking at you like, man, I got famous with everybody for picking Ohio State there, uh, you know, except except for my buddy Matt Wilhelm. But, hey, Matt, <laughs> you, 
just, it, it was, oh man, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later. Not that, sure. but, that but that game and that, like I said, one finger, you tapped it. If you'd got two fingers on it, it would have never gone to overtime, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yes, it was an exciting time. And, uh, and again, it, it's hard to believe I was down at the game uh, this past Saturday and it was hard to believe that uh, at some juncture next year, we're going to be celebrating 20 years. It's crazy. I mean, seriously, it's crazy. I mean, I was just, before I was talking to you, I was talking about, I was setting up a new IRA account. You know what I mean? That's how far I've gotten in my life, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to, instead of setting it up, I'm ready to tap in, but that's another story. Uh, you, you were there on Saturday. You've been, uh, you've been, you've been hanging around Ohio State football, uh, you know, since you kind of moved on from the NFL and stuff. I mean, but yeah. you, you've been keeping up with things and stuff. And, I just want to get your because everybody's interested, you know, in in this next question. Okay, the defense has gotten better. Of course, they've played lesser opponents the last two weeks than they played against Oregon the past two weeks. Now they're going into Big Ten play against Rutgers. But since Ryan Day made the made the switch up in his uh in his coaching defensive coaching room and also uh, a little bit of scheme change or a little bit more emphasizing one thing over another. What have you seen that you've liked from this defense the last two weeks, taking into account they were playing Tulsa and then Akron? Of course. I think for um, more so than anything, they've been a little bit more aggressive. And, and I think you've identified, uh, you know, maybe some of the old Buckeye defense that we were accustomed to because you are uh, very well coached. You're very prepared for what that offensive team is going to give you. And you take your chances here and there by bringing five defenders, bringing six defenders on a specific down and distance where you feel like, uh, you kind of you press the hand of that quarterback, regardless of what school they are or how, how talented they are. Uh, with Buckeye silver bullets bearing down on you, you force the hand of getting rid of the football, you know, more on our terms than your own terms. Yeah. And I think it's in many cases in years past, we've gotten away with and, and what a luxury it's been with, you know, Coach Larry Johnson and, and the plethora of talent along the defensive line. We've been able to manufacture pressure with four guys. Yeah. And, and I, all those guys, many of them have moved on and are playing at the next level or they're no longer with us. And so it's a lot of uh, new faces, new names that haven't played a lot of football. And those guys need that opportunity to go out and prove themselves. And I think for the first time in a long time, we go, well, why does that quarterback have forever back there? And I, and I think the change in, in uh, the defensive scheme and the play calling uh, was in, in many cases, I'm sure there's a little bit of pressure from the fan base. I'm not saying any one coach makes a coaching decision or a change based around the pressure of the fan base, but then uh, just understanding the way that you look is not going to win you football games down the road when you actually do get into Big Ten play. So to be able to make that change ahead of Tulsa and make the change ahead of Akron and be able to kind of, even though it's a work in progress, you're small, you're tinkering with scheme, you're tinkering with you know specific pressures, uh, certain players in certain instances on downs and distances and those packages. So that when you do move into this week in preparation, once you've kind of closed the book on Akron and even furthermore on Tulsa, you have a, a stronger grasp on your identity. And I think that's where uh, even for me coaching our seventh and eighth grade uh, football team, it's like, who are we? Yeah. Are we tough? Are we physical? Are we a little bit more uh, you know, laissez-faire? Are we going to be a little bit more gimmicky with some of the stuff that we do because we don't have size or speed or talent? And I think we opened this season with a lot of uncertainty on defense. And we create a little bit of identity issue. And, and personal, personally watching the game, I thought we were just standing around being the nail, not the hammer in, in many cases. And I think uh, what Barnes has done you know, since being the play caller with now the input of Kerry from up top is 
we've been the aggressor against some of the lesser opponents and and we've seen the benefit because of that yeah all all points extremely well 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 taken and well put you know and uh and in past that i think people need to understand the dynamic of playing defense in the modern era you know you you remember the term mark d'antonio had when you were there uh, you've got to affect the quarterback you know you've got yes. to affect the quarterback and the point is uh you know, you can play press man coverage all you want, for example, but if a guy has four or five seconds to throw the ball instead of like one and a half or two, uh, people are going to get open. And so you've got to mix. And I know this is what we're talking about. If you can mix pressure with press man, now you got something going, you know, and uh, because don't give him that first out that he's looking for uh, with guys coming right off the line, right out of their receiver spots. Don't give him that first. And then if you can get there a second and a half later, you got something going. I think that's what we saw increasingly, for example, against outmanned Akron. But still, you saw a great example of, of what inside pressure, because obviously Haskell Garrett and a couple of his defensive tackles had very good play the other night in terms of getting pressure in his face, making him run a little bit. And then it, but that is, it's all in concert, right? There's not just one. It is. And I think what's answer. more difficult, what's more difficult, and again, and it, and, the the way the evolution of college football is is of sort that I can't necessarily say, and I'll speak for myself first, and I'll bring a couple of other you know great Buckeye linebackers along with me. Is you know, I I, I wouldn't play a whole lot of football in you know at at Ohio State as much as we're seeing the spread, you know, because I was I evolved into a coverage linebacker, but I was a, a two down guy as a sophomore and a junior, and then eventually never came off the field. Uh, as a senior, but, yeah. uh, you know, playing at 245 is unheard of nowadays at the linebacker position. You've got to be 230, you know, 6'2 max. I mean, Josh Perry's an anomaly. I don't think Josh Perry, myself, uh, again, I'll bring in AJ's probably a little bit of a hybrid. He'll play, you know, and be able to cover those tight ends, but we're not running with wide receivers in these four wide receiver sets that we see every week. And to the point that you made, and I think that's also very difficult, is not only the evolution of the offense that you see, um, the quarterbacks are more athletic than they've yeah. ever been in college football. So while you create the right pressure, you get pressure with four, the quarterback did, and you cover them on the back end, then the quarterback takes off and runs and, you know, on third and six gets the seven yards and it's, it's very defeating and demoralizing, you know, time after time for a defense. Uh, but I think that the mix and match of showing man and playing zone showing zone and bringing up, you know, a, a fire zone or, and then also getting back into the core of man and going, Hey, we just got better players than you. And we're going to lock up your wide receivers. Yeah. Uh, that that's that mix that I think we're seeing now with Barnes calling the plays with the influence of Kerry Combs, that Kerry was just very cookie cutter in what he was going to do. It was, we don't have Denzel Ward anymore. We don't have Marshawn Lattimore with a Bosa brother and chase young chasing these quarterbacks down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's well put, man. Uh, I, I know I'm, I'm probably going to say that throughout this uh, throughout this uh, podcast interview with you. It, that's well put, my man. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I would ask you this as a former player, a guy that won a national championship at Ohio State, uh, you know, and was part of a great defense in 2002. You and I talked about that on a tailgate show a couple of weeks ago. Yes. I mean that that defense evolved as the year went on, but man. It was really the salvation of that team when you look back on it. I mean, uh, without a doubt, it was. I mean, the games you it guys really got was. into from the middle of the year, well, from Cincinnati on, it was a different, I thought it was a different defense. You know, there, y'all pulled out the gadooly, as I call it. You didn't get gadoolied and then moved on from there. But what I want to get to here is you're a former player, you're an alum, uh, you were a former player of a plum. 
Were you embarrassed by how the defense played against Oregon? I mean, that that's a team out there running around in your colors and stuff. You know, and I'm not trying to get you to rip anybody, but sure. was that a little bit embarrassing to see a team run the basically the same play three times, a little bit of a nuance change, but, you know, in essence, sweep around left end, uh, you know, for a couple of touchdowns, et cetera, and then, and then snooker the team off of that when they finally adjusted and throw over the top of the tight end who feigned a block and went into the flat or uh, into the corner of the end zone uncovered by the safety ran right by him. Was that embarrassing for you? Did when you, did you, did you leave watching that game going, man, something major has got to change here. What was just your gut reaction? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, again, sitting at, you know, very low sea level, the great thing, I, and or even like club seats in an NFL game. What I love about that is you get the all 22 look. Right. So you see conceptually what's happening as opposed to just being a lot. And again, for me as a former player, I don't follow the football. You know, every time an offense breaks the huddle or gets lined up, I take a snapshot of their formation and go, well, because you have to understand former college player, former pro player. And now, again, I've been a high school coach, you know, here locally and now I'm coaching my son. So I'm watching and evaluating film on a week to week basis. The, the grades and the, the, uh, the, the level of play are all completely different, but it's it's concepts. Right. Yeah. It's. If you look back at that game, and I said this probably at the half halfway point of the Oregon game, Oregon was aligning with trips to the field, okay? And not one time did they throw a bubble pass? Did they try to stretch the field with trips? Did they do anything to the field with those three receivers? Everything was zone read, zone cutback. You know, they were logging the, you know, the end and going in, running into the boundary. That's how they scored their first touchdown. That's how they got multiple first downs. Then um, number 12 for Oregon, who was like their U, who was like their move guy. Yeah. The football kind of followed him. He'd come across the formation and seal, you know, that end. And they'd get great push inside, which, the, and again, Oregon's a top 15 offensive line in the country. So they're no slouches. So yeah. they were getting push on us defensively. And then they would either, they, they cut us the one time on the long touchdown run. And then they'd go around the edge. It was either QBR or handoff, or again, they had been setting us up time and time again with that that 12 that you coming across and seal block and seal block and seal block. And then, as you said, then they release them to the flat. They get that big first down conversion that kind of killed the game and allowed them to just run out the clock. But um, if, if I'm seeing that from my perspective in the stands, what boggles my mind as a former player. And again, someone who's so, so very much predicated around the X's and O's, why is no other coach seeing that radioing it down to the appropriate individual to make those either a uh, schematic changes like, Hey, when they're here, we got to be here, you know? And then you also have to be alert for it because every offense has layers, just like you do on, like I talked about defense, you, you show this, you play this, it's, you give them the same formation and you've got an A, a B, a C, a D and an E play out of it. And until a team stops you, you really don't evolve into you know, the B, C, D. And and that's, I think, what was kind of tough. And as the game got closer because of how explosive our offense is, we saw the same look, trips to the field, the wing into the boundary or formation into the boundary, and they gave us the zone read, the zone read cutback, the play around the edge, the quarterback keeper, the quarterback power, and they got into there because they kind of had us reeling, and they also, and we never adjusted. So they go, huh, we're just going to line up in this every time we need yards because we know we're going to get four yards or more every time we're in this formation. And we're going to do it until they stop us. Yeah. And that is not something that many teams could have done against an Ohio State defense over the last 20 years. So, yes, it's not infuriating to where you're like you, you throw your hat in and you're, you know, you're completely turning your back on it. Um, 
What I love is that you have a head coach who identified the fact that it's not good enough and immediately went in that week, you know, did some self-scouting, uh, again, you know, speaking amongst the staff, you know, they are a bunch of men, you know, who can hear the good, bad, and indifferent about the job that they're doing because they can easily do it to the players, right? And then those yeah. players don't play. So when you can look at yourself in a mirror or have a man-to-man conversation, coach-to-coach, uh, which is kind of what had to happen, and it's not easy to accept, you know, for a guy who's, you know, had the tenure like Kerry Combs has producing the DBs, NFL, and comes back and takes the coordinator position. It's not easy to ha- to handle, uh, but it also says a lot about the man that he is to be able to go up in the box, you know, resend a little bit of the control that he has uh, to Matt Barnes and allow, you know, Ryan Day to uh, at least take a shot at changing things up because um, there are many coaching staffs where they're so egotistical. They just, they just, they stay with it, you know, game after game. And they're going to, it's almost like you live by the sword, you die by the sword. In this case, we needed to swap out, you know, the old school sword and get a, you know, a, a samurai, a samurai, you know, ninja blade, right? Yeah. To get back Kill to the Bill. aggressive nature. Yeah, Kill exactly. Bill. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. We just needed a much more aggressive approach to, uh, to football. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, Akron and Tulsa were the perfect games on our schedule to allow us to tinker with those things, to prepare us and at least get, you know, 60 to 70 snaps in two games of some of those new looks that we're going to carry into Big Ten play. Yeah, and, you know, and confidence, man. You know, it's all about because, like, like I said, I'm not going to judge whether Ohio State's back. You know, has gotten their act together truly until maybe even this week. Rutgers is a credible opponent. Rutgers, correct. I mean, since Greg Schiano got back over there last year, he he mined the transfer portal or tapped it. I guess is more yeah key. Tapped the transfer portal. And clearly, anybody watched the Mich- Rutgers. Michigan game again this past week. Rutgers is in a game with them just like they were a year ago, you know? And yeah. uh, so you're going to see much more. This is going to be much more a barometer of whether Ohio State has gotten its act more back together. Not as big a test as maybe it's coming against uh, Maryland with, I think, a really high-octane offense if they get things going. And then, of course, Penn State coming down the road. But there's, like you just said earlier, there are these games where you can gain confidence, right, in what you're doing. Absolutely. And the last two weeks – You've seen that, right? I mean, just how does that how does that show up when you're watching from the stands or on television? How do, how can you tell a defense is playing with more confidence? What what's the what's the call sign there? Well, I would say uh, I would say winning first down, and and what does that look like? That means three yards or less on first down. Uh, so you're not giving up, you know, four to six yards on first down. That puts it because you're trying to get the the offensive team that you're playing off of their schedule. Yeah. And their schedule is to be in second and six and then eventually have third and third and three or less is their schedule because, you know, teams are going to be able to go. I can run or throw the football and get three yards if I need to on this defense. And so by winning first down, that means they run the football and you stop them for, say, three yards or less. So they're in second and seven, second and seven. They're going to get into, you know, either they'll go run, run. Then you do it again and you put them in, you stop them for another two yard gain. And now they're in third and six. And now you can kind of create that little push or pull scenario where we might play man, we might play zone, we might bring a pressure. Pin your uh, ears back a little bit, yeah. Yeah, pin your yeah, pin your ears back a little bit. Uh, you know, but when teams are getting you know four or five yards on first down and they're in second and five, that plays into the hand of the offense. That plays into the creativity of the offensive coordinator. Going, okay, now we got them eaten out of our hand a little bit because I can either I can throw a bubble screen, uh, you know, I can, and we become very predictable. 
uh, on defense because we were going to be some do something player, uh, very safe and we're going to give a little bit of cushion because you don't know what's going to happen offensively. So the yeah. more that you can dictate uh, the down and distance to the offense, a team, and it's through your film study and your preparation and the coach's game planning, you whittle down the amount of, of offensive formations and offensive plays based on what you've seen on film of a certain team to go, it's almost like it's going to be this or that. It's going to be, you know, something quick, like a three-step drop, or it's going to be like a dash pass where the, you know, a half the field read where the quarterback gets out of the pocket and he's got the guy to the flat. He's got a guy running about a 10 yard out, you know, where I can go get the first down with either my great athletic player, my running back, usually, or a tight end of the flat. He'll turn up the field, get the three yards, or I'll throw it, you know, if the cornerback jumps up, I'll throw it right behind him, get the 10 yards and move the chains. Yeah. So you begin to throw them off their schedule and you do that by, you know, sh shoot, bring five on first down, you know what I mean? Stop the run, put them in second and 10, second and nine plus. And I think that's the other thing. And I, and I do know that the errors have changed, but you look at the, uh, you know, the, the top players, you know, myself included in tackles for loss, you know, Josh Perry and AJ Hawk and James and myself are, we were playing at the line of scrimmage or we're so prepared and anticipating that we're making plays behind the line of scrimmage, Yeah, you know, so you're there in second and 12, you know, and, and they're really, you're really forcing their hand. And a lot of that had to do with our preparation, uh, our scheme and our, uh, how aggressive we were, as you, as you said, pinning your ears back. And now it's like, we're kind of playing on our heels and just waiting for what they do. And that is the complete antithesis of everything that all of us, yourself included, know and have you know watched and covered uh, about a silver bullet defense for a very long time. Yeah, I was going to say the aggressiveness clearly even grew as last week's game ensued, which is a good sign. You know, another good sign I saw. You know, clearly the Irons kid, the quarterback uh, uh, for uh, Akron. I mean, I thought he's a pretty talented runner, and As he escaped. He escaped, escaped a couple of three times, basically for one of another, you know, football term, sort of in that A-gap area, uh, they yep. create a little bit of a scene for it. But you saw that tighten up as the game went on, which meant some coaching was being done and also some recognition was being done by the players who were playing. You know, I mean, I mean, the defensive, defensive tackles, Haskell Garrett, uh, uh, right on down the line, the, the freshman, you know, Tyleek Williams. I mean, those guys were tightening as the game went on, either by their own recognition or what was – or what they were being told. And – uh those are all good signs, right? As the game goes on, they're they're def they're definitely good signs, and I think you know to go backwards before we kind of get back into what you were just talking about, which is what we've seen. Yeah. I just thought that the players that were playing for us, you know, in those first couple of games that you know that really brought the defense into question, um, it's they looked a little robotic. You know, a yeah. lot of them were playing a lot of football for the very first time, so you can kind of understand they're almost being overcoached and being kind of told what to do and where to go. And if this, then that, if that, then this, you know, and you were taking away the defensive instinct yeah. and uh, the playmaking abilities of these great players, because uh, you and I both know, and you follow this as well, doing what you do. It's like the cupboards are full with talent because we're a top three class recruiting wise every single year. And I guess my one take uh, you know, as people go, what the heck's going on with Ohio State football? Because I have been down, uh, you know, a couple of times this year. And I really do feel, uh, and again, it's nothing offensive by any means, but I really do feel like this is the, the first time that Ryan Day and his staff are really working hard. Yeah. Right. Working hard on scheme, working hard to prepare a young quarterback, working hard to play a bunch of guys on defense, you know, that are 
freshmen, redshirt freshmen, they're playing 30 plus snaps a game for the first time in their entire career. And you have to build continuity. You have to build trust amongst each other. Uh, he's going to be where I expect him on this blitz or on this rundown in his gap. And I'm going to fit here. And even on the other side of the ball, you see just uh, uh, the, the, uh, the anxiousness and the nerves of Stroud against Minnesota uh, late in that game against Oregon. You know, those throws with wide open receivers, yes. Justin Fields makes and it ties the game. Even if you don't play well for three quarters, he makes those throws, deliver the football. And we're just seeing a lot of the, uh, the inexperience on both sides of the football. And, and I really do think, you know, a lot, along with those defensive changes, we're just seeing this staff working really, really hard to put the best 11 on the field, you know, situationally, you know, whether it be, you know, again, first, second, third down on offense, first, second, third down on defense, it gives us the best chance to win. Yeah, no, you can see it happening right for you. That's, what, that's why I preached the other day on the tailgate show, you know, you dropped by and said hi again. And, but the bottom line, you got to have patience when you've got that many first-time players, whether they're older or even younger, or even in some cases on the defense, freshmen, a lot of freshmen running around, pure freshmen running around out there. And then, and then you know, you look at that offense, it's as loaded as any offense I've ever seen, except for the fact you've got a first-time starting quarterback. And even Saturday, you had a freshman starting at quarterback. They are going to have to experience things. You're going to have to, like, like a parent, you're going to have to deal with the fact that uh, not not everything is going to go according to Hoyle, but all you want to see is improvement as a game goes on and as the season goes on. Hey, I want to, I want to ask you about two quick things before we move on. Uh, number one, uh, I want to ask you about the quarterback play, uh, especially Saturday, freshman quarterback, pure sure. freshman. Are you kidding? Uh, and, and they still scored, uh, what, 52 points with the offense. Yeah. That's a pretty good day no matter who you're playing. But then it I is. want to get your take on number 14, Ronnie Hickman. He seems to be playing more and more of a vital role or a, a key role on that defense as the season goes on. Do you, do you, who are a couple of guys that have caught your eye, I guess, defensively that you think have an upside? Uh, well, I think the, the Burke kid at corner as a yeah. true freshman, yeah. uh, because, you know, again, going back to the good, bad, and indifferent of everything that's happened on the defense side of the ball, I mean, the fact that just as we're starting a freshman or a redshirt freshman at quarterback in either Stroud or McCord, uh, and you have to have patience there. I mean, we are so spoiled with, you know, being DBU for the past decade with the number of great players uh, at corner of safety that are now, you know, most of them playing in the NFL to then, and it's not drop down, but have to start a, a true freshman at corner. You know, the same way that you want your uh, you say uh, Stroud misses, you know, Garrett Wilson, you know, down the sideline for a touchdown. Burke's going to give up yards and he's going to give up, you know, to to other good receivers, especially now that we're going to transition to Big Ten play. We've seen some of our great corners, you know, get abused by the Indiana wide receivers and the Penn State wide receivers year after, you know, 13 receptions on 15 targets for 180 yards. And you're like, man, wipe him off the board, and make everybody else beat you. So those yeah. scenarios are going to happen. He's a guy that I think, you know, has got to have thick skin. Uh, he's not a guy that uh, if I were coaching, you're going to want to go get him in and out of the game. You need to just get him because in, next year, you know, it's that whole iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Getting him out there and, and these young guys getting this game experience will only benefit us come even mid-late November, you know, against that team up north when it's really going to be matter, uh, yeah. when it's really going to matter in the bowl season, if we have the opportunity to compete and actually play uh, in a relevant, you know, January one or beyond football game. And then I think 
uh, to, to your overlying point, it's, it's the patience for, for next year, you know, and, and I've seen that firsthand and I'm, I'm going to go back to the elementary seven. It's like, we got a great group of seventh graders last year that got their heads kicked in. And this year they're all eighth graders, right? Yeah. They're now we're five and oh, and they're doing, they're the bullies now, you know? So I think that's, the, but it, it could have never happened if you, they didn't go through what they did last year. It wasn't pretty, you know, and uh, it wasn't fun. But they took it, they grew, you hit a growth spurt, you spend another year with Mickey Marotti in, in the strength conditioning program, you get the X's and O's of the access to your coaches and your game film for another offseason, and they are so much better next year. And then you add another recruiting class, you get exposed to another couple of guys that, you know, maybe do get redshirted, and it's their time to play. And it does create a little bit of a perfect storm. The one point that I have to make along those same lines when it comes to who other. We as Buckeye Nation, because we've been competing for a national championship, you know, almost year in, year out for about five or seven years now, um, we're spoiled, right? And then you yeah. look to who we're competing against and you look and you really only have to look at one team because Clemson, Clemson's kind of down. They're a little bit in flux like we are this year, right? Yeah. Lose their quarterback. They lose their a game. They should have win against NC State. Um, but you look to Alabama and you go, how does Alabama do it? And we've competed with them for the last you know, the last five or seven years between urban and coach day, the last two, and you go, well, why can't we do what Alabama's doing? You know, and they do it completely different. And what coach Saban's got, and he's using the transfer portal, you know, to his benefit. In some cases we're losing guys because they're just not good enough to play for us. Um, and so it's, it's going to take some time. Uh, but I would say, I would say the Burke kid, I think Haskell Garrett's got significant upside. Uh, for me, uh, I have to say it. And I know it's been a little bit of rough go, the guy I've got my eyes on is who's the gentleman who's wearing, you know, my Jersey number 35, uh, the Eichenberg kid He's from St. Ignatius. Yeah. Um, my, my son's actually contemplating going to St. Ed's or St. Ignatius. So to have a kid from Northeast Ohio wearing 35 actively out on the field, uh, it's been rough. I think he's, you know, uh, a first and second down linebacker. Like I was early in my career. Um, he's taken his lumps just as a lot of those guys on the defense. But again, the more you can get him on the field, the more experience they get, the more recollection of how they're being attacked by an offense, Yep. along with that high level of coaching and those adjustments that I think in some cases we make better than any team in the country will only benefit him when it's going to really matter when we get to crunch time towards the end of the season. Hey, I want to ask you about one other, one other thing in just a minute, but I don't want to ask that until I ask this one. Uh, first year starting quarterback, C.J. Stroud, you knew you were going to pay, uh, you were going to pay a few dues. Then you see a freshman quarterback, Kyle um, McCord, go in there the other night. About as horrendous, a, a, without throwing an interception, about as horrendous a, a, a first series as you can get, you know. Yes, uh, green he, out. He took his foot off the gas a little bit, calmed down a little bit, and got better as the game went on. Uh, definitely got better. Uh, uh, and like I said, the offense, including Jack Miller in the second half, uh, produced 52 points. Right now, from what you've seen, does Ohio State have a quarterback quandary? Or from what you've seen, is C.J. Stroud still the number one quarterback? Obviously, he took last week off to rest that shoulder of his, that arm, uh, which was obviously giving him some discomfort one way or the other. But what what's your take? You're, you're totally objective here. You know, you're not sure, having to make sure. this decision. You're just watching. Absolutely. Uh, I think first and foremost, uh, both in the Minnesota game and I thought McCord in this Akron game, uh, you have to give, uh, you know, such a, a, a nod of the cap to, to Ryan Day, who took the chances early in the game with their young quarterback, 
quarterback shows, I'm young, inexperienced, you know, a little nervous, and I kind of miss those opportunities. And then the coach evolves into, you know, a couple higher percentage throws, easier decisions for him to get him a little comfortable in series two, series three. You know, of course, you rely on the run game, you know, you set up some of those uh, pass plays with the play action because you've had success on the ground. And then you see the comfort level, you know, of the real Ohio State offense stretching the field, the deep over routes and the quarterbacks hitting these guys in strides and really falling into the game plan. So I think it's just, again, a testament to Coach Day and uh, and those offensive coaches. Um, to me, my nod would go to Stroud. And, and the reason why is because he's played the most football. So you hope he's also gained the most experience. He's learned from the mistakes. Yeah. Uh, he's no longer nervous. He probably also has the most rapport built with running back, tight end, wide receiver, because uh, while they probably split reps for a very long time through camp, but once, you know, Coach Day kind of made the decision, it probably became like a 75-25, you know, uh, snap-to-snap scenario where yes. um, CJ was getting 75 of the snaps and McCord, you know, as the backup. Uh, has to be ready with probably getting 25. And even into game week, it was probably more like 90-10. And so uh, I would give him that nod. I do think, uh, you know, ob- objectively, as you said, uh, the one thing that I, I don't think either quarterback is yet comfortable with, uh, and a lot to do with their inexperience and the fact that they're young, is um, using their legs to move the chains, which I think we've become so used to. Gosh, you know, even Haskins would pull it down and, you know, and get the tough six yards and reach the ball over the line to get the first down when he had to, even though we all knew as Buckeye fans uh, there, it looks as if going, I'm going back eras like Terrell Pryor. There was a time where he was coached to not run with the football and stay in the pocket. The same for Braxton, you know, Haskins was the pocket guy, but eventually got comfortable enough to go. All they're doing is dropping and carrying our routes. I got to take off and run it you know, and get us those tough yards, even as, you know, tall, lanky and unathletic Cardell had to do it, you know? And (laughs) I think it's something that becomes, uh, as we saw, you know, early in the game against Akron, you know, eyes were down the field, great pass protection, nowhere to go with the football. You take off and you get that first down, you move the chains, you go back into the run game, you go back into the play action pass. And I think that's something that I would see out of both that I would love to see out of Stroud, which I, I think even going back to the Oregon game was available to him. But he would he would run out of real estate, you know, roll yeah. into the field with his eyes downfield and downfield and downfield. Eventually, go be an athlete and go get those five yards yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think for that, uh, I would say I would give him the nod because of the experience. And I think he's probably a little bit better of an athlete. And maybe that that RPO uh, running with the football uh, when the when the pass is not there becomes a little bit more available to Stroud uh, than it does to McCord. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I've likened uh, I've likened these quarterbacks, so they've been put in the into the cockpit or into the driver's seat of a really nice sports car, you know, with that Absolutely. offensive line they've got going, that fleet of wide receivers. Oh my goodness. A tight end, Jeremy Ruckert, even Kate Stover's coming along. You got Mitch Rossi there, quasi fullback. You know, they 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 do not call anybody a fullback anymore, even though they use a fullback a lot if you follow my drift. Yeah. But you you're so it's not like you're putting in that cockpit and you're not even, I don't know if nervous is the right word. You just want to please, you want to learn how to drive this car. And sometimes you're so fixated on driving the car and shifting correctly, et cetera, you forget that what puts you in that seat is some God-given talent, too, that you eventually take advantage of. And uh, I think you're seeing that. I want to ask you this, uh, jumping ahead, because I've already taken up too much of your time, Matt. Um, We're good. Do you remember 
Do you remember that moment when you talked to Jason Lloyd before the 2000 and uh, the 2000 Outback Bowl, and you basically questioned, forgot exactly how you put it, but Kenyon Rambo was a captain. You remember that? Episode? I do remember that. Yes, yeah, sir. Number one, dude, you don't you don't even know when you gain respect from people. But I remember all of us in the media, you know, we could because you that was kind of an exclusive with Jason, but we couldn't wait to ask you about it. I remember asking you about it under the stairs at the team team hotel in Tampa where you guys were HQ'd and, uh, you know, given even more detail because number one, what stood out was number two, number one was you recognized a situation there that had bothered you for a while. And number two, when you were requested, I think maybe I'm wrong to maybe soften your stance on it. You did not. <laughs> right. And Which, absolutely. And when I think it's, uh, and I think I, I, I in, in many you know cases, where I'm going course, with this, but go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I've just, you know, you mature as you get older, but I would also say my wife would tell you the same thing that I'm just, uh, when I, when I feel a certain way, uh, and I feel obligated and kind of in many cases obligated to say something, I don't mind saying it because, um, I don't mind deal. I've got big, broad shoulders and I don't, I don't mind dealing with the ramifications, you know, uh, that, that come with it. Yeah. And in many cases, uh, you know, referencing that instance, I just felt like uh, the most popular individual in the locker room is not the best leader for a locker room. Uh, and it wasn't that I had who was supposed to be the captain instead of I didn't, you know, yeah. could I have rattled off four to five names that I thought would be, you know, better serve us? Uh, sure. At that time. But I also just believe just because you're a starter, just because everybody likes you. You know, and you're uh, the funny guy that's Mr. Popular doesn't mean you're you're the the, the captain of the football team. And I think in many cases, uh, without understanding the true dynamic of a locker room, uh, you look at it, maybe not necessarily across uh, college football, because, you know, you don't really know who the captains are, you know, other than, you know, following the Buckeyes. But you look at who wears the C's in a uh, professional locker room because of yeah. the the patches on their jerseys now. Yeah. And I even furthermore, without understanding the dynamic, um, I think there are quarterbacks, you know, in the NFL that get voted as captains because they're the quarterback. They're young, they're inexperienced, they've never really led before, but because ownership and head coach and management have basically blessed this individual with a sizable contract or being drafted extremely high. They get voted in many cases because of their esteem at yeah. that position uh, as a captain when their their personality to me outward, you know, uh, looking at it from afar, doesn't scream leader, doesn't scream. I'll follow that guy into a dark alley when maybe year over year uh, you see them crack in the face of adversity, uh, whereas, you know, to your point. A fullback, you know, a, a dying position in the National Football League and a dying position, you know, in college football who is, you know, a fifth year senior or a six year veteran who first, you know, first in the weight room, last guy to leave, you know, uh, a family guy with three kids and has been in the organization through the ups and downs would a bazillion times qualify as a captain, yet you give it to the quarterback because of, because of the position he plays. Yeah. So it was one of those instances that I just felt obligated because, uh, as you can imagine, you don't come to Ohio State to go six and six. You don't go to come to Ohio State to play in an Outback Bowl. And you know, I was a you know a true sophomore uh, enjoying my first starting experience, and uh, we weren't winning football games. And I don't think we we're being led, and I don't feel feel like we were being held accountable. Uh, by either coaches or or leaders, and if 
I had to say it. If I had to lose a friend because of it, so be it. Yeah. I was going to say, captains can't be ordained. They have to earn it, like you just talk, talked about. I mean, they, Absolutely. They, have, they have to earn it for one another term, locker room cred, street cred. I mean, they have to, like you said, they have to be, they're different, you know, and, uh, you know, you were different. I mean, you know, that's what, it's always, you know, you just, you just love these guys, you know, that you run into. I'm talking about from my side of dealing with players like you and stuff. You just love these guys. You just, you know, have earned the right to speak up. You know what I mean? Sure. Just by the way they play, by the way they practice, by the way they conduct their business. And that's what I like. Now, when you're watching that game on Saturday, Saturday night in Ohio Stadium, and I'm not sure uh, you noticed it at first. I'm not even sure what you were aware of. But when number 36, Kevon Pope, suddenly he's walking off the field. He's walking toward the locker room in the middle, I think it was the second quarter. It was basically the same play that Ronnie Hickman had his uh, pick six on. Uh, or as you've read about it and heard about it, would What's what's your reaction to to that to seeing that? Uh, or uh, I think it's I think it's unfortunate. I think it's also you know collectively what's making this Ohio State football season feel so odd. Uh, you know, uh, losing a game you know uh, early in the season uh, to an, another ranked opponent. I think that you know the defense uncertainty and the change up on defense and the uh, I th- I'd say the lack of blowouts. Uh, you know, because I think the Tulsa game was a hell of a lot closer than the, the score actually tells you yeah. as a, you know, from a tail, I think, you know, you look at either the Browns this weekend at, at three, nothing at the end of the first quarter or Akron kind of scoring first and us going three and out on offense and punting it away. Um, you go, Whoa, what is going on? Um, and so this is also one of those instances you've got the, the other linebacker, the grant kid that entered the transfer portal just prior to this week. And now you have this kind yeah, of low Dallas Gant. Line. Yeah. Dallas Gant, okay. oh, Gant. Yeah. Correct. You guys are the same room, but go ahead. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And um, you just kind of go, what the hell's going on? You know, this is weird. And, and I do believe uh, in, in some of the sources that I do have that I stay connection with in Columbus and in and around the program, it's just um, you fill the coverage full with four stars and five stars each and every year. Uh, in this case, it seemed like you've got a kid in Mitchell who's embracing being a starter, embracing to want to maybe do a little stat stuffing, you know, late in the game and not come off the field. And that could be perceived to a younger player, maybe when a, 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 the second group had trickled in, you know, onto the field and all his buddies that he practices with in the second group um, are all out on the field. And Mitchell goes, no, I'm good. You stay out. I, I'm not gonna lie. When you get that opportunity to finally go out and play, you get a little pissed off, right? Yeah. Um, but to to act out, and I think it's why you see the apology, you know, come in uh, the disrespect to your teammates, the coaches, the players, the university, the program. Um, why you quickly backpedal the way that he did? Um, I do think it's classy for Ohio State to keep him, you know, as you know, perceived as a student athlete to get all those benefits uh, throughout, probably throughout this year, and to be, you know put him on his way to, to graduate from Ohio state. So I think it's very classy because you can, he can become a, just a student very quickly if they really wanted to. Um, so I think it's classy from the program. Uh, but it, it's interesting. It's, it's a pressure cooker. I mean, Mark Pantone and his staff, you know, Brian Hartline at the wide receiver group, it's like, they are, they're getting the best of the best at every position and the pressure on the kid. And I think even furthermore, some of the nail stuff, the, the name, image, and likeness stuff with money and the monetary um, benefits that can come with being out on the field, that, that can get me a free truck. That can get me a hundred grand for autographs. That can get me this, that can get me that. 
And if I'm not on the field, those opportunities don't get put in front of me. And so you can kind of feel um, the the pressure, uh, I would imagine, as a player to want to be out there, especially uh, in an instance like that when you should probably be out there, but your teammate waves you off because for whatever reason, he wants to stay out there. Yeah. You know, and we're not, we're, you know, of course we didn't get a clear picture of exactly what went on there, whether or not the defense that they had called, it was, you know, second quarter, but uh, they're, they're already up by then pretty good. But whether the defense they called didn't call for him to be out there because he's played a little bit off and on throughout the season. I'm talking about Kevon right. Pope. And so, you know, you never, you never hardly ever get the total details of a couple, you know, usually till a couple of years later, if you follow my drift, but yeah, it was of just course. an ugly, it was an ugly scene, but like you just pointed out, it's two guys, in one week from the same linebacker group, which a lot of people have been questioning the strength of to begin with, as you as a former linebacker, oh, excuse me, former stellar linebacker, you don't mind me patting you on the back, do you? I do not. Uh, d- does that group have the makings to live up to the silver bullet brand? As you've watched, you mentioned Tommy Eichenberg a while ago, you know, to Roger Mitchell, you just mentioned a second ago. Uh, you know, you've seen the other guys, uh, you know, obviously, Steel Chambers has moved over from running back. He had a couple of form tackles right in the hole the other night that looked like a real linebacker. Now, yeah. when we team spread you, you got to be as adept at arm tackling as you are, you know, form tackles anymore. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> has there been anybody, you know, do you see the makings of that group getting better as the year goes on? Just what's your take? No, I wouldn't. I would say at this point right now, not yet. And, you know, like a, a to be determined. And, and I think just like, uh, you know, many other, of the other position groups, uh, I think defensive backfield, quarterback, I think the evolution of the defensive end uh, position, you know, because you got to love Haskell Garrett and what he does, because I just love the kid, kid plays sideline to sideline. you got to love that. He's making yeah. tackles all over the place as, as a D tackle. That's not easy. Uh, but I think defensive end, cornerback, linebacker, quarterback um, are all positions that are very much in flux. Um, that are kind of like a, a to be determined because there's just so much inexperience. I think because of that, you're not getting the immediate results. And what the coaches and the, and the staff wants to do is, okay, well, this guy's not getting it done. Well, let's give this guy a little ch- a chance, you know, and see what he's got. And so you're going to have this like little revolving door and you're going to kind of play, you know, whoever's hot is going to get the most snaps. And then you hope though, that they grow into that role and it's not a revolving door because I mean, that's a slippery slope yeah. then nobody has experience. Everybody's questioning, you know, where they're at. You know, I'm, I'm in no man's land. I'm not a starter, you know, and I'm not a backup, you know, and only play in one package. It's like, and then it goes back to, you know, my original, you know, statement about this year so far, at least on the defensive side of the ball is there's no identity. Yeah. There's no identity. Uh, you know, we're not a, an aggressive blitzing man-to-man defense. You know, we're not a, you know, keep the ball in front of us zone defense, you know, pressure you with five. Uh, we don't have a D line who can win on third down, uh, you know, rushing four, dropping seven. So it's going to take, you know, some of those players at the positions that we've talked about to emerge and to begin making plays, you know, at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, so it's, it's frustrating. I think for us as Buckeye fans and former players and for someone like yourself, because there's been so much name recognition with players year after year that when you needed to play, they made the tackle, they got yeah. the pick, they put, you know, the tackle for the loss, uh, the sack, um, or, you know, they, they, the pass breakup for that matter. Um, and this year it's like, there's no name making those plays and those plays themselves are also very few and far between. Yeah. They have no name, big name yet. They have no image among themselves. 
and their likeness is should not be confused with the likeness of the 2002 defense. Am I throwing that into modern modern terms there? <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I and I do feel like what's available, um, you know, maybe not necessarily this year, but I would say next year. And, I, and to go to talk about that 2002 team, you know, top to bottom, it was it was a a a four class conglomerate. Yeah. You know that made us great. You know there was. You know, Kenny Peterson and, uh, you know, as a as a redshirt senior, Donnie Nicky as a redshirt senior. It was Dawson, myself as as true seniors. You had Tim Anderson as a true senior. Then you got con- contributions from uh, C. Grant, you know, redshirt senior. You got Robert Reynolds as a junior, you know, A.J. and Simon Frazier. You got Chris Gamble. You got Dustin, you know, so it was it was uh, yeah, a, a mix. Yeah, it was. And again, it was very, you know, John Cooper recruiting reliance because of all of us being juniors or more. But then that interjection of life in, you know, with Simon Frazier and with uh, um, with uh, who did I and with AJ, oh, yeah, AJ and Mike yeah. Kudla, uh, yeah. you know, uh, participated on the defense, you know, Chris Gamble was yeah. Chris Gamble. It was it was what made us so special. And I think when you look at the, the, the dynamic, you know, you got Will Smith from New York and Darian Scott from here and a bunch of kids from Ohio. Then you got Gamble from Florida. So it was it wasn't very cookie cutter. It was it was kind of earned uh, over time. And I think that's at, at this juncture right now at, at three and one and kind of really not being overly impressive in any one of those games defensively. It's all going to be earned by the guys that, you know, that start that Michigan game for us uh, this this November. Whoever those faces are, they will be name recognizable by then, and it's because they've earned it. Yeah. I told you a while ago, I interjected, a guy I really like who's really come on, in my opinion, is that number 14, Ronnie Hickman. Yes. They're figuring yeah. out how to play him. When they went to the two-high safety look now, after when their big makeover after the Oregon game going into uh, Tulsa, I think that has put some guys in better positions. For example, if they're going to play Bryson Shaw at that other safety, I think he's better suited. It looks like he's more comfortable than playing that just that one high look, you know, a lot. Now they still play a little. When bit I do believe, Tim, sorry Go to ahead. interrupt, but I do think the uh, the injury to Proctor, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. so the revamp of the defense and that injury really yes. forced the hand of what we're going to do in the defensive backfield with those safeties. You know, what look, yes, you know, and and who where. Um, you know, it's unfortunate because uh, you know I was uh, excited to watch. I enjoyed watching Proctor. I yes. thought he was going to have a great year, um, but. You know, that's the reason why you keep the cupboards full, um, but it does. And it goes back to another point that I made. It's it's these coaches are really coaching for the first time in a long time because they just don't have a bunch of plug and play guys. Yeah. They go, I think he can do this. Let's see him do it. Oh, wait, he can't. So let's put him here instead and move this guy over. So there's yeah. a lot of mix and match going on right now. Thankfully, uh, you know, we took one L, uh, which was humbling for all, even us Buckeye fans, uh, but also the opportunity to play against a school like Tulsa and Akron to kind of, kind of give them opportunities, get 120 snaps under their belt so that when it does come to a real challenge like this week and next week, kind of prepping for, in my mind, I'd say this, you know, a former Buckeye goes Rutgers in Maryland, come on, you know, it's really setting the table for the Penn state game in, in my mind. But I think these challenges, just like the opening game against Minnesota, uh, allow these guys to go out, get pushed by big 10 level talent and then overcome it, win the game, move on to the next week, do it again. And then you've got your primetime matchup with Penn state, both of which will likely hopefully be in the top 10. Yeah. I was going to say, man, you know, the, and here's the thing. I, I want to move on to one other quick thing before I let you go, Matt. Uh, uh, the thing as a player and 
you know, you know this, you know, this team was never going to be as good at the beginning that it could be, could be at the end of this season, just based on the new faces, et cetera, we've seen. But, you know, they I think down the line they can hang their hat on the fact that, man, they played so lousy against Oregon, but we're still in the game. If you you know yeah. what I mean? They were Absolutely. not blown out. This wasn't this wasn't like uh, Purdue a few years ago or at Iowa a few years ago or the that bowl game against uh, that playoff game against Clemson, thirty-one to nothing. They were this, as lousy as they played in certain aspects and on both sides of the ball. They were still in that game against a team that might be, could be, probably will be the big the, the Pac-12 champion. So there are all kinds of things to grow on and all kinds of ways to to find some confidence. You know, as the season goes on, uh, is is that a is is that a right way of looking at it? And then on top of that, like you just pointed out. I keep telling people the the Big Ten East looks so much more difficult. Yeah, the way teams have played, like Michigan State, nobody has benefited from the transfer portal better than Michigan State this year. Yeah, with Mel Tucker, you remember? Yeah, uh, and, I do remember uh, Mel. He was DB coach. Exactly, you remember Mel. And then uh, you know Rutgers. We've already talked about Maryland has even benefited greatly. Uh, it's a total different animal than people saw like four weeks ago, right? It is. It is. And I think it's finally and it's it's great to see because I just gave you, you know, last comment was a snapshot of a yeah. former Buckeyes mentality when it comes to Rutger and Maryland. You're like, oh, God, might as well be Akron. Yeah. You know, um, because they've truly they've truly not um, brought, I'm sure, what Jim Delaney, you know, former Big Ten commissioner, other than like money and television eyeballs, they haven't brought much to the Big Ten. Yeah. And so uh, if that happens to be this year and Thank, thank goodness, you know, because uh, there, it's not that I want to go uh, into a dogfight each and every week, you know, as a former Buckeye rooting for my team, but to really get no benefit out of, out of playing those schools, you know, you're talking, you know, 50 to 14, 38, 14, it just, and you just roll. Yeah. Uh, there's something, and I think where the benefit could be for this football team, there's something about, uh, and I'll just use the Minnesota game, the way the Minnesota game went down, it was a boxing match punches back and forth, punches back and forth. And then eventually what has always reigned supreme for Ohio State was superior talent, superior coaching. And those two things you end up – and the one thing we didn't make and to talk about that Oregon game is, I mean, Garrett Wilson down the right side, the home sideline, you know, Stroud overthrows it. He makes that throw. It's a tie ball game. We yeah. go get a stop and give the ball back to one of the most explosive offenses in the country, you know, even though it's led by a freshman. And yeah. it's a completely different ball game. We missed that throw, don't convert, punt it back to them. They go score, go up 14, and then you're really just – you have to play perfect with six minutes left on the clock. And that's just a lot to ask for for this football team. Uh, real quick, uh, uh, Trevion Henderson, uh, is he the is he that spark at running back that you guys, guys got from Maurice Claret 2002? I mean, do you – I, would, I wouldn't equate these two guys. Uh, I mean, I thought Maurice was great at, like, making you miss. You know what I mean? Just – but yeah. you didn't have the speed, yeah. maybe the burst that uh I almost think Mayan Williams is more like uh yeah. Maurice Claret. Yeah, I agree. He's got the speed, got the you know, physical lower body, kind of makes yeah. you, you know, first first tackler bounces off you. I think you know, Travion might be the the lightning to the thunder and lightning. Yeah. Um, and I hate to say it, and I know that it's really uh, you know, nothing against the kid other than you know, having it's redundant, but having those cupboards so full is I think we're gonna see less and less of Master Teague as the season goes on because of how explosive and uh, both Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson are. They're, you know, yeah. they're both kind of lightning in the bottle, but different in their own ways where 
Master Teague is just, he's all thunder. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right? Yeah. Um, good way and, of putting it. And, 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 and there's a good instance where, you know, we need that down inside the goal line. But as you game plan and, you know, Mayan and Travion are getting all the week's reps, you know, you're going to give those guys the ball down inside the five yard line, regardless of whether they're lightning or thunder, because yeah. they're just so darn good. Well, they they find they find a way to get yardage when there shouldn't be yardage too. I mean, that's those little, that's what you know. That little, those little nuances are what separate good from great, you know. And then Travion, Absolutely. Travion's got everything from even size as a freshman to burst to uh, quickness to speed, top end speed. I think everybody's seen that now. But also, he's got that wiggle. You know, I, I keep calling yeah. that little wiggle. And I, I know that was a bane of like when you played the game, when you played against a running back that could. Had all, a lot of things going for it, but also could just make one little wiggle that meant you got a yep. leg instead of both legs and drove you nuts, right? It is. And in many cases, you know, as, as good of an offensive line as we have, you know, there are still instances where, you know, they'll block everybody up and there's still a defender, you yeah. know, left unblocked. And when you have a player like those two who can make that guy miss or wind it all the way back and outrun him to the edge, um, it gives you that big play opportunity went. And that's why I also believe that, you know um, you know, it's, it's what urban Meyer believes in, but it's why you see in certain instances when fans or like, you know, novice football brains go, Oh, this is, this is a a throw scenario. You run the football and, you know, block everybody at perfect, right? Give the ball to that amazing player. He makes that one guy miss or outruns that one guy. And it becomes the 25 yard, 30 yard run when you don't have to throw for it with yeah. your freshman quarterback, you know? Yeah. So uh, I think we're going to see more of both of those individuals. I think Master T will have a role, but it will just diminish as the season goes on because uh, you look at both of those guys and you go, they are the future, Yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny because you, you just brought something up now. I'll get to my end here in a second, but you brought something up. I mean, the Verdell's run beginning of the second half by Oregon, which suddenly put them up two touchdowns again. Yeah. You know, I, I literally, uh, you could almost sense as Ryan Day went to the locker room, his first inclination was line up and run the ball right at those guys when they got the ball in the second half. But when they got the ball in the second half, they were down two touchdowns instead of one total different dynamic. Real quick, tell people, what are you up to now? I mean, uh, just uh, professionally, uh, give people a little insight on what you're up to. Absolutely. Well, I think more so than anything, I'm a a husband and a father to three beautiful children. Uh, My, my oldest is a 13 year old boy who's an eighth grader uh, making a a decision between Big young man already, ladies and gentlemen. I've met this. He young is, man. yes, sir. Yes, yeah. Boy's a uh, eighth grader, uh, almost almost six foot, almost two hundred pounds. Boy's a size thirteen men's shoe. Um, so yeah, <laughs> he's eating me out of house and home. But I'm coaching him. I'm uh, I'm just I'm consulting for multiple companies, doing business development. I do a little bit of venture capitalist, uh, you know, stuff here and there. Uh, but more so than anything, uh, I don't tie myself down to a true nine to five because I want to be a dad to my children and, yeah. you know, and raise some amazing kids. Yeah. Wow. Hey, give us an idea of venture capital. So, I mean, you, you got a little bit of a bent there too, don't you? I mean, and what, what are you specifically sort of interested in? 
medical device is, is yeah. kind of where I'm, I'm at right now. Uh, you know, the, the innovation and design uh, technology uh, side of things are a few of the entities that have walked into my life recently. Uh, but here, as you could probably imagine, you know, being an Ohio boy, living out in California, you know, kind of popping around towards the end of my, my career, you, you connect with a lot of individuals, right? Uh, yeah. You know, high net worth, CEOs, business owners, and uh, they reach out to you, you reach out to them and you become, even though you don't really know them, you're, they're in your network. And so, you know, a lot of the entities that I'm involved in kind of leverage that networking of making some of those asks, being asked, you know, for investments of, in, in certain entities. And so it's fun. Uh, I enjoy it. And, and I think more so than anything, as I've said already, it gives me the, the flexibility to, to be able to, you know, be uh, in, in my children's lives. And also, you know, uh, because of my, you know, my first career retired at 30, uh, my NFL career, it's given me, you know, some of the monetary flexibility yeah. to not have to just go attach myself to one thing. Uh, so I can kind of be nimble on my toes and kind of pick and choose who and what I do business with. Matt, why was it, why was it important for you to live in Ohio? What, what's, what's, cause like you just pointed out, you could have lived out on the West coast, man, based on where you played and things like that. You had, you had hookups, whatever. Why was it, why was it important for you to be in Ohio? Uh, it's a lot of the same reason why I went to Ohio state, you know, my recruiting process, it was uh, Ohio state, Michigan were one and two, you know, on a week to week basis, it would, it would skew based on my interactions with the coaches. Uh, and as you imagine, it's like, gosh, I was being recruited during the, you know, 96 to 98 era of Ohio state football. Yeah. And also the, you know, the 96 to 98 era of Michigan football, you know, Charles Woodson won a Heisman. They won yeah. a national championship in that window. So, uh, it went back and forth. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, Fred Puggett Sr. and, you know, John Cooper and their staff uh, put the appropriate amount of pressure on me to be an Ohio boy, to want to stay in Ohio and be a Buckeye. And, uh, you know, there's there's name recognition. There's a branding, you know, once you're a Buckeye and even furthermore, a Buckeye that's gone on and had you know some type of success in the NFL uh, coming back, uh, regardless of how old you are or where you live. Every corner of the state of Ohio knows who you are because you were a Buckeye and what you did there. Gotcha. It's called a parlay, ladies and gentlemen. It's called a parlay. <laughs> Matt Wilhelm, thanks for joining me on the Tim May Podcast, man. I've been wanting to do this for a while. And you My know, pleasure. don't get mad, but we're going to do it again. You know, like I had C. Grant on, a, you know, several weeks ago and stuff, and it was great, you know. And Did he sing uh, for you? you know, huh? Oh yeah, you I, didn't I made him sing. sing. Did you? you want to sing oh, now? Do you want to sing something? Something no, country western? No, no, huh? no, no. Huh? I leave it to see. You want to rap? Whatever you want to do, no. man. You can do it on this. I'm gonna have you on again, obviously, because uh, I love you guys, man. Just the the experiences y'all went through. Uh, you know, wow, man. We're so I want to get I want, want to get you on again. How about early? Just, how about early November? And we'll uh, we'll yeah. go back and re, and we can replay some of my comments about what we all expect to see in the next six yeah. weeks, but then also you know, ahead of some very important football games. But then also, as you and I talked about on a tailgate show several weeks ago, y'all were part of that little renaissance, you know, from the late nineties to the early two thousands that changed Ohio State football forever. I mean, or at yeah. least up till now, there's some credit, to, there's some credit due there, uh, not just to Jim Trussell, but to you guys, you know, who were part of that group that, have ch literally changed it have, have brought about this era what i call of spoiled ohio state fans you know and uh, yes so we'll yeah. touch on that but hey Sounds matt William, thanks for joining me my man my pleasure tim thank you for having me yeah awesome it's it's cool to hear from these ex-players man because you know for example matt Wilhelm, I mean, he's been around for a couple of these games already he was uh said hi to me at the tailgate show before the the game started this past week same way a couple of weeks earlier before they played oregon 
and uh, he's paying attention to what's going on. But, you know, as, as I broached that subject, you know, when you're a former Ohio State defensive player and from a team that had a couple of great defenses, especially a 2002 group, you were kind of embarrassed by what you saw against that Oregon team in, in some ways, you know, uh, uh, and explaining to your friends, say, what's going on with this Ohio State defense? In some ways, it's not even lining up right occasionally, et cetera. And, you know, to watch those young players grow, to watch Ryan Day make a major shakeup on his staff, which he had to do. Let's let's face it, he had to do it. Uh, and now to see them growing right in front of your eyes uh, is kind of a – it's kind of an intriguing moment. Let's put it that way in the 2021 Ohio state football uh, history. Yeah. I mean, I know I understand that um, impatience is part of uh, the world these days. And I'm as guilty of that from time to time as anybody. But when you, you sit back and watch this, like you don't just get to go step on the field because you're a four or five star recruit in the day one, you're supposed to be, playing at an all-American level. Nothing happens that way, um, and certainly not in football, a game as physically and mentally taxing as it is. So you, these guys, I, I was just thinking about it the other day, like if you'd flopped the order of the first two games of the schedule and they had played Akron and Tulsa, would, would Minnesota and Oregon have played out the exact same way? I don't know. That's just a hypothetical, but you can see why these reps are so important, why they, why they value, or they're so valuable. Um, can't even talk just to get ahead of it. Like, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, you're right. That, you know, that's where you grow and get better. Like you're not supposed to play top 10 games every single week uh, and you're going to have mistakes and you have to learn from them. And you, you need all the games to do that. And look, that's not to excuse at all what happened against Oregon. It happened. They don't get it back but they also had to uh, learn from that experience as well as the last two weeks and find what mix works for them so that it doesn't happen again and that they got to continue to grow uh, you know, from those learning opportunities. They didn't have to just throw them in the trash and give up on the season. Like, all right, there's still a lot to play for. Let's figure it out. And now you still get these opportunities and you haven't lost the chance to still win the Big Ten or get back to the playoff down the road. Yeah, and he made a good point, you know, if like if uh... – C.J. Stroud had hit uh, Garrett Wilson down that sideline there in that one pass, you know, in the game. Uh, I'm talking about against Oregon. Or if a couple other plays had gone another way, despite the doom and gloom, they got to beat 35 to 28. You know, I mean, they were in that game. They had a chance to save that game, et cetera. Didn't get it done. Maybe a veteran quarterback makes a play. Maybe a veteran player makes a play that he didn't make. You know, who knows in that game that would have been a difference. But it wasn't like the blowout loss at Purdue or the blowout loss to Iowa or the 31 to zero loss to uh, Clemson in the college football playoffs a few years ago, um, even against a team that's probably, I would think right now is probably going to win the PAC 12, or at least it's going to be play, play for the PAC 12 championship. You know, they were still a player two away as poorly as they played, especially on defense from being in and possibly winning that game, saving the day, you know, but, yeah. but, I think the changes defensively, you agree with me, they were going to happen regardless of what happened, what the final outcome was that night. Agreed? Well, and I think that that's one reason why, like, you don't go back and change it if you could. Yeah. You know, wish that you could alter the schedule because they needed to have a moment where they realized that the issues were real and that they couldn't 
ignore them. They weren't solely caused by COVID. Now, a lot of them still were. And I think it's worth, you know, a reminder about all these young guys that wouldn't have looked so young in week one or week two if they'd had a, a full amount of practices, a full amount of reps, you know, an Akron game a year ago, for example. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's showing up, Tim, not just for Ohio State, but Clemson, uh, Texas A&M. Uh, Name the program. Name Oklahoma. The program. Yeah. Yeah. Almost, almost everybody is struggling. And I think that that is a big part of it because like I said, this game is hard and you have to play it to get better. And not everybody had the opportunity to do that as much as they're accustomed to what a normal season would look like. And so I think that that's another part of it that, that shouldn't be overlooked. You know, uh, Spencer Holberg made a great observation. I'm jumping ahead now uh, to what happened with Kevon Pope the other night. Um, very unfortunate situation to happen for him, in my opinion, personally, just losing it and then uh, maybe just putting a dent, uh, big, huge dent in his reputation, et cetera, as he walked out on Ohio State. Uh, obviously, Ryan Day didn't want him back on the sidelines, neither did, you know, and uh, was sent packing. And then, of course, on Sunday, right after the game, was basically dismissed from the team. Although, as you pointed out in your story that, well, I won't get it. I just thought about 10 things at once there, but I think you broke the story at halftime of that night that uh, it looks like Kevon Pope is no longer on the team. And some people broke it later in the night, basically citing no, no, no one else probably, but you and uh, made it look like it was a bulletin. Evidently you weren't paying attention, but I digress. Uh, uh, as Professor Oberg said, sometimes it's uh, addition by subtraction. I don't know if I totally agree with that, only because I see a linebacker room that's down two bodies compared to this time a week ago, or at least as we record this. I'm talking yeah. about Dallas Camps, transfer portal entry, and uh, Kayvon Pope. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you when you even when you're resuscitating something, sometimes you got to get the bad air out, right? And that's what I was referring to earlier. And uh, you know, there's no doubt Steel Chambers is coming on as a linebacker, for example. So there was that move that kind of replenished it back in preseason camp, or as you pointed out uh, much earlier than that, you know, you made a little observation during the summer. There he was running around with the linebackers. A plus B equals C turns out to be that way, or A plus B equals LB. But uh, <laughs> uh, but sometimes a team needs a moment, right, to kind of like everybody an epiphany now, and I understand, you know, probably Ryan Day just basically said, just because you've been here for a long time, I'm talking to the players and stuff, just because you've sort of put in the work, that doesn't guarantee that you're now the next guy, that you're not, you're going to play over a guy who may be, number one, may or not, may not be as talented or may be as talented, but has put in even more work, is showing uh, results once they're in the game. Uh I think this. I think this coming to a head for some of these upperclassmen who thought now was their moment, right? Yeah, I think that it can certainly be that way, and we don't know for every single player what uh, they are or are not thinking. We know that yeah. the fact that they've been in the program for as long as they have means that they know how to work very hard and know how to get through adverse situations, and they've not given up. But you know, if there's been any change any expectation any uh you know sense that they deserve it complacency uh distraction with you know being an upperclassman and having other 
business opportunities presented to you. I'm not meaning to say any one thing for any one player because I don't, I, I, I'm that wouldn't be fair to them. Right. So I'm not, but whatever the situation we're is. We're talking about the current climate is what we're talking about. Not necessarily specific. Go ahead. But, but we know that there are veteran guys that Ohio State was counting on that we talked about for the entire offseason that are not producing at the level that was expected of them. And I'm not going to assign a reason to any specific player for why that, why or why not that that might be the case. But if, let's say, some complacency was part of it and that you felt like you were de- deserved playing time or uh, were going to inherit a role, the fact that, you know, Kayvon Pope was dismissed um, because of that outburst, which again was clearly over playing a playing time situation. Yeah. Uh, that Dallas Gant is leaving and that, you know, there was no uh, kicking and screaming out the door to get him to stay or whatever. Like Ohio State is saying, look, these young guys are trying extremely hard. We're willing to play them in your spot because they're, if they're going to make mistakes, they're at least doing it aggressively or what have you. That has to be, send a message to those other guys. Like, wait a minute. If, if I'm Tyreek Smith or Zach Harrison or Teron Vincent or, you know, name it. Yeah. Um, this is it. Like, you want to win, you want to play and win at Ohio State. They're, you, you don't just, you know, get to say, I'm a senior at Ohio State. I'm going to play. I'm, I've been built for this. I'm ready for it. They all quote LeBron all the time that everything is, is, you know, earned and not given. Well, you actually have to live that too. And that's, you know, I think that there's part of that realization sinking into this team. And again, that's not specific to one player, but uh, when Ryan Day is talking publicly about you don't get to roll the helmet out even against Oregon and expect you're going to win, like, okay, maybe this program needed that dose of reality that it's not going to just win every regular season game that it ever plays and that the Big Ten Championship is a foregone conclusion. It's not. You still have to go out and do it every Saturday. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, that's exactly I'm sure the message that he reiterated on Sunday probably when these when those guys got together. Hey guys, you know, and I'm just paraphrasing because who knows what he actually said to them, but unfortunate incident, very embarrassing incident for the program. You move on. But the bottom line is the best players play, uh, and especially going into your fifth game of the year, the best players. You're sort of seeing that, as you pointed out. You're seeing who is and isn't maybe ready for prime time. Pardon the pun, you know. And uh, the best players are going to play, and you knew that coming in when you thought you were one of those guys, you know. And uh, you had to wait your turn. And now, if you haven't put in the work or whatever the progress to get to that point to where there's no doubt you are one of those guys, hey, you know, it's pretty much on you, right? And uh, and I don't think there's any any problem with putting. We're telling people straight to their face where they sit, you know, that's the best way of doing things. Number two, with this name, image and likeness going around, uh, you know, some guys I think are probably feeling pressure that to get the deal, to get the truck or the car like that guy got, you know, for name, image and likeness, I got to get my opportunities, blah, blah, blah. Well, you get your opportunities by proving yourself in practice. You got to touch on that a minute ago. Matt Wilhelm touched on that when we were talking. It's like, you know, there are all kinds of like little pressures going on out there that weren't even around five years ago, right? Yeah. And that's it. Like, this is the first time that any of this has happened for these guys. Uh, speaking of new experiences, <laughs> uh, this is the first time that if you're an All American like Haskell Garrett, now 
he he has handled his business and been been a leader and had three sacks on Saturday night. Yeah. So I was thinking of somebody, that, you know, one of the first ones that came to mind. But you yes, know, you you don't that doesn't just come. And I think some guys I, I bring up Pascal here because he's clearly handling it maybe better than some others are. And uh, you know, they're they weren't prepared for this. You know, they got like one month advance. Where like, well, you you might need to get an agent or set up a bank account or like, you know, here's what, here's how it's all going to work out. Like nobody truly knew. So hmm. there aren't a ton of people with one notable exception on Ohio state's roster that are clamoring to give deals to these freshmen. So they're still trying to earn something for the first time in their life, which is playing time. Yeah. And these other guys who are veterans and in Columbus specifically, they already have a lot of name recognition from being in the program for a long time. They were going to inherit some of these deals just by, uh, product of their age, uh, and and it's a new thing for them. How am I going to manage my time? Like, should I do this deal? Where do I have to go? How am I? What truck am I going to pick out? Like all this other stuff. <laughs> you know, I think that again, this is not specific to one player, but Ohio State going through that stuff for the first time with those veteran guys they were counting on. Say they probably didn't handle it as well as they, uh, you know, wanted to or should have. And that showed its head in the first few weeks of the season. So will that get fixed? Look, those senior players that we've talked about, we know that they're good enough to get back to the college football playoff. That, you know, Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison are still still have the tools to be NFL defensive ends. Uh, you know, they need to play like it if they're going to yeah. get back to the college football playoff. But we know that they can. And at some point you think that they will. Yeah. Hey, enough of that. You know, we we you know, we I think we do lettermanrow.com, we do a pretty good job of sizing things up as they come, et cetera. And I thought we did a good job after that game the other night, sizing up what everybody was going to be talking about initially after that game. It wasn't 59 to 7. It was, oh my God, what happened to 36? <laughs> and uh uh and uh, then past that, you know, real quick, let's keep this quick. Cause I'm sure y'all covered this uh, on your uh on your roosters, uh, roosters roost this week, but I do want to ask you, and then you ask me the same question: Does Ryan Day have a conundrum at quarterback now, or is C.J. Stroud still the starter? And will he start this week at Rutgers, or would it do him a lot of good to rest another week? Go, you've got forty-five seconds. Go. Well, the question is for the doctor, and I am not one of those. If C.J. Stroud is is healthy, he's the starting quarterback. That's, I think that's the bottom line. I, every single person that I've talked to said that that decision was made for a reason. It was clear and obvious yeah. that CJ Stroud was their best option. And if he doesn't feel pain when he's throwing, if, uh, you know, they looked at the shoulder and the doctors say he's good to go, then Ohio State has to roll with him. They don't have, they don't have to, they will. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, the part that I think is interesting, and I won't try and steal your thunder on it, is that if they get into the game and maybe the shoulder doesn't feel right, or maybe there's three or four drives where it's just not happening, the situation is now different. The reason that you didn't see Kyle McCord against Oregon, A, was because CJ Stroud had 500 yards passing, but or against Tulsa was because that was a tight game and it would not be fair to a true freshman who was not getting starting reps or being prepared to have his first opportunity to be like, hey, 
go out there and save the game when he's ne- when they don't when Ohio State's never seen him do it. He's never stepped on the field. Jack Miller is a similar situation. Yep. He, he, Kyle McCord is the backup, but it doesn't, you know, that would have been a worse situation for everybody involved. It was not something that they could have seriously considered. But if now you have a problem with an injury or uh, the offense is what, for whatever reason, sputtering, not clicking with C.J. Stroud, well, now you have something that is you can work off of Saturday night. You know what Kyle McCord can do in some form or fashion with a limited amount of stuff that was probably on his plate. Um, and you can work from that, and you're not just saying, hey, this is your first time, go save the offense. Yeah. Um, now, that, that I think, will give them more to think about. Okay, that was double 45 seconds, but you're exactly right. And the, you didn't steal my thunder, but you did. My time is Exactly what I was talking about is, you know, I asked Ryan Day that question after the game, and I just give you a little more confidence or a little more comfort level knowing you've got your backup quarterback just played a significant amount of plays, and even your third-string guy did as opposed to, you know, three hours later, neither one of them had thrown a college pass. One of them had never been in a college game before. You know, he kind of like danced around that, but he does. He has a relief pitch. I was going like this, like get, send me the right-hander. They're yeah. all three right-handed. But uh, bring in the right-hander because now if C.J. Stroud has three or four series in a row, let's say at Rutgers on Saturday, late Saturday afternoon, 3.30 kickoff, uh, you wouldn't necessarily hesitate as much as you would if those guys had never played. So that does give you a little bit of a comfort level uh, in in terms of a head coach. And I think you agree with that, right? I do, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing is uh, I think we have seen, and Matt Wilhelm pointed this out too, and I think I want to get your take on this too. I think we have seen every a lot of things evolve. We've already talked about the defense. Everybody knows how much I like Ronnie Hickman, you know, Ronnie Hickman is one of those rising dudes, uh, you know, nationally. Let's say regionally right now. Let's don't put him on that national thing yet, but definitely Ronnie Hickman is is showing he can play. But offensively, they have found their they have found their rotation at tailback, or excuse me, running back. And it's pretty clear to everybody now what they're, but they're not going to necessarily forget about Master Teague the third in this rotation, I do believe. But there's no doubt about what Trivia and Henderson and even Mayan Williams bring to the attack right now. I think everybody has seen it, and that makes it more comfortable. Comfortable, try saying that three times. Makes it more comfortable for everyone, right? Uh, well, yeah. Except maybe Master T. Well, yeah. I mean, and look, everyone. I like him, man. Don't get me. Don't get me started. I like him as a human being, and on a lot of teams, he would be quite the stout guy to deal with. Go ahead, then. Yeah, he does. He deserves a lot of credit for. Yes continuing to work and and look I've said this to you before and I've said it a lot of times and he showed again why on Saturday night if you have a short yardage situation and this is certainly Travion Henderson can get it done if he wants to as well but you want to just go put a battering ram in there on fourth and one or first and goal from the one I you know I don't know who wants to tackle Master Teague or who can when he just has to get that one yard and it's straight ahead there's no thinking, no cutting. Uh, I'm not meaning this to sound like backhanded compliments, so I'm sure that it does, but he's he is an elite weapon in a short yarded situation. He just is. Yeah. And you know, if if the realization, which it has to be, you know, when you put on the film of Travion Henderson, and this includes Mayan Williams in that, in that conversation, if you're in that running back room 
And Tony Alford is standing in front of there with the blazer pin, and they're watching what happens. Travion Henderson is different than these guys. Yeah. And they all know that. They've been watching football and playing it their whole lives. Yeah. They know that Travion Henderson gives this offense something different. But that doesn't mean that he's going to run it 35 times a game. That era is also over. So um, it, it is not going to be even against Rutgers. It's not going to be even against Maryland. It's definitely not going to be even against Penn State. Um, Travion Henderson got an even amount of carries with them on Saturday night because he's about to get a hell of a lot of them moving forward. Yeah, He got the starters night off to relax after he carved up Akron pretty good Yeah, with those yeah. carries. But the yeah. point is, your point is a good one, and it also applies – it should apply now to every position. Yeah. You know, after four games, who the best players are. And it took maybe a little bit longer in some some cases, some positions, some units. And there may be one or two spots in situational roles where they're still working through it. But by now, you know, at this point, who needs to be playing and who's going to take Ohio State to a championship they can get there. Yeah, exactly. Hey, real quick before we go, uh, the other thing that's evolved is, is – you know, they 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 would just soon play five defensive backs a lot more, just like the last several years, than than four defensive backs and, and three linebackers. That's evolving. If they, the more they get Craig Young involved, the more that looks even more imposing. You agree? Uh, yes. And Ronnie Hickman coming up, man. Ronnie Hickman, I'm telling you, I keep saying his name because he's now my Josh Proctor. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's that guy from the back. He's like you got to have that guy on a defense. It just will come up and knock your socks off for no good reason. And he's he's that guy. And, of course, pays off for him. He gets that interception, takes it back, pick six. Hope I'm not hexing him, but I, I really like the rise of that young man. Uh, uh, and real quick before we go, Jameson Williams. Oh, my goodness. You know, Alabama was in search of uh, take the top off the uh, defense wide receiver. I, don't, I think they evidently left did, did not leave that – as a secret among themselves, the Crimson Tide fans, uh, Jameson Williams saw the opportunity, took the transfer portal, and went right to Alabama. And he had one; he had a record-setting game the other night: two touchdown uh, kickoff returns and another 81-yard pass reception for a touchdown. Alabama has never seen the likes of him before. Is that crazy that we're talking about a guy that you know probably would have been at most the third or fourth receiver off the? Uh, fourth receiver in the game for Ohio State. I mean, that's another great sign of college football in 2021, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he would not have been the third wide receiver at Ohio State. I will say that uh, as clearly as I possibly can. And he's very talented. Yes. He's shown that. And, and don't ask me why I have this available right here. But Alabama, this point of the season, their top wide receivers have 46 catches for 670 yards and six touchdowns. Just by comparison, the top three at Ohio State have 57 catches, 929 yards, and nine touchdowns. Yeah. Don't ask me why I know that or how that information was so readily available to me. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I know why. You're a savant, but go ahead now. But, yeah, it makes it seem like we really scripted that out, and we didn't. No, we Uh, didn't. So the, the point is, and that's also, by the way, with Chris Olave having zero catches two weeks ago, and two catches for 12 yards uh, last week against Akron. And we know uh, that number will change dramatically. So I I get that it's been really fun or sad or whatever to track what Jamison Williams has been doing at Alabama and just be like, man, how could this happen? I let him go. Well, he's Alabama's best wide receiver. 
and he still would not have started ahead of these three guys that are here. So yes. that's that is the day and age. Ohio State wanted Jamison Williams to to stay here. Yes, Jamison Williams himself, I am pretty reasonably convinced, if the decision had been his to make alone, would have stayed at Ohio State as well. But there are a lot of other factors involved there, and you're not going to be able to keep everybody um, in again with the new age and transfer portal and name image likeness and all the other stuff. That's a complicating factor. But I can tell you right now that Ohio State is not sitting around wondering, I wonder what would have happened to our team if Jamison Williams had stayed. Yeah. By the way, two names keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen. I think you saw one of them the other night. He just wished he'd gotten another two yards, gotten another two yards. And Mika, <laughs> Mika and Buka, and my man, you know, just like I'm pushing Ronnie Hickman, uh, my man, I keep pushing. But golly, man, give 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 the man give the man some throws, some targets. Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. That's those are two more names in that wide receiver room at Ohio State that you really have seen very little of uh, at all. And uh, uh, that was the battle that uh, uh, Jameson Williams was going to be fighting this year just to get on the field at, at Ohio State. And I'm not. I, you know, more glory to him, man. Good for him. Making a great call. He's playing for the number one team in the country. Uh, he has a, a night no Alabama fan has ever seen before or an afternoon, whatever it was, that Southern Miss game. Uh, and uh, it is what it is. But you're right. I, real quick before we go, uh, just like I talked with Matt about this, uh, awesome. Uh, we're seeing this Ohio State team slowly but surely get its act together, though, aren't we? We saw a backup quarterback like I said earlier, lead this team to 52 points of the 59 points, if I'm not mistaken. I may have my math wrong a little bit. No, no, probably 45 of the of the, uh, of the the 52 offensive points. Uh, and, of course, one of, the, one of the seven of the points came via the defense. But we're seeing this team get its act together, aren't we? I think so. But, you know, that's the, the element of dropping in the grain of salt for – uh, accounting for Tulsa, which you said played a very good game. Akron had a we a number of times watched that Akron quarterback running around and be like, wow, that, that dude's they, an athlete. But they corralled him as the game went on. You know, they were learning on the fly, you know, like and Matt did. and I talked about. I mean, you saw somebody chalking something up or guys learning, hey, don't give up your gap. You know, go ahead, though. You're right. So, you know, there were things that were meaningful from that game that you take forward. But the only way that it really counts and really matters is if that shows up in the games that are are truly going to be measuring sticks. And look, Rutgers is a Big Ten game on the road. It it counts the same as Penn State in that all scarlet color rush uniform in the end of October. Yeah. Like, so it has to show up again this week, and it's going to have to show up against Maryland and Indiana and Michigan State, and obviously in the rivalry game at the end of the year. Like, you know. There can't be any more of this complacency. And, you know, I can't say from sitting right here that that's 100% what happened before Oregon or coming into the season, but it looked like a team that that some of that had settled in. And that can't happen again. There's no margin for error. Every game is a Big Ten game from here on out. And if you want to live up to the standard of this program at Ohio State, win a Big Ten championship and compete in the college football playoff, then that can't just be a couple weeks where learning opportunities. Now it has to be put into effect in the games where Ohio State is expected to win and needs to win if they want to reach their goals. Yeah, and ladies and gentlemen, if you're if you if you're just now waking up, Ohio State's announced it on uh, against Penn State they will wear an all 
Well, I think they did they announce it as all red, but I think it's an all scarlet uniform. All scarlet, yeah. All scarlet uniform. I'm thinking they announced it as all scarlet, all scarlet uniform. Uh, where I they're still going to wear their silver helmets or gray helmets, but they're silver, <laughs> uh, <laughs> deep, deep metallic silver helmets. They're still going to have stripes in the appropriate places. Personally, I'm very much looking forward to that motif as opposed to the all black because number one, black is not listed in scarlet and gray. Black is another color. Is black the the black is the black is is the uh, is the absence of color? Correct? Am I right on that on the spectrum? I believe I right? so. So black is not really a school color to begin with. So I'm much looking forward to this uh, uniform personally uh, because it stays within that motif. Uh, what's your take? Uh, awesome. I just I never can think they look high school, don't you? <laughs> I can never work up really any opinions about uniforms. I don't know why. Um, now, yeah. I would just the, try to fake it, but go ahead. Yeah. When when the crew try to change them and mess with the badge, then I might have some more s- stronger opinions about about that. But, you know, I, just, it, I still can't ever, even when the crew did that really ghastly one that was, you know, all white with the yellow streaks. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Like, you know. Okay, I don't love it, but that's not why I go to the game. Um, and I, I'm, I get that I'm in the minority there, and that people love it's important to them. They, you know, they all want to see, you know, the scarlet. You know, I know Bo Bishop wants to see the, you know, the gray on the sleeves and the, and the scarlet uniforms and the old traditional look. That's cool. I just don't have the in inside me to get worked up about what they wear, and I have I don't blame anyone who does. It just doesn't. I don't have strong opinions on it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I I'm not an alternate uniform fan. Never have been. You know, I grew up an Alabama fan. Uh, uh, I've always liked the uniform they ended up with. Finally, with Bear Bryant, etc. Uh, but just you know, yeah, you know what I mean. Crimson, crimson uh, jerseys, uh, white yeah. pants, etc. Sometimes they wore white helmets to delineate them from the team they were playing. But crimson helmets. Uh, Ohio State has a classic. You know, they've they've messed with it a little bit, you know, a little tweaks here and there, but they have a classic home uniform, in my opinion. I think it it sets them apart, you know, in, in their in its own regard, just like USC, you know, with the crimson or whatever it is, top and the uh and the and the and the gold bottoms. And you know, I I just I'm not a traditionalist, but I just think when you got something that's that classic, why why mess with it? It's all up my only take. And the bad thing is if you mess with it and you go out there. And then you get beat wearing it. Then you look like it goes from a from a an alternate alter, alternate uniform to a clown suit, right? <laughs> right in a heartbeat. That's right. You know? So you were kind of rolling with it. But anyway, awesome. Once again, man, thanks for uh, co-piloting this uh, mess of a flight, man. Appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to appreciate uh, Matt Wilhelm for joining me, man. We had a great discussion. Going to have him on later in the year to talk about some things. Just like I'm going to have C. Grant on again. And some of these guys give insight that uh, can only come from a player's heart. And uh, that's why I like having these ex-players on. They they have bled scarlet and gray. Uh, they know what it's all about. They know what it's like to go to kind of get a program, get the feet back under a program when things have gone tough for a while. And uh, I'm just uh, – Curious as this season goes on, I really do see the progress as I was talking about with this Ohio State football team uh, and I, with the youth involved. And also, I think we'll, we'll uh, agree with me on this. 
they were all going to, oh, this was always going to be a learning curve. This was never going to be a straight line for this football team. Right, Awesome? That's right. And uh, so next week, we'll see how much they learn when they go to Piscataway. I don't, all I know is don't turn left too many times. You'll end up in the, uh, you'll <laughs> end up in the, uh, uh, what is that, uh, New York Harbor. But I digress. Ladies and gentlemen, until next week for Awesome Ward and for my guest, Matt Willem, this is Tim May. We'll see you then. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.